Good morning, everyone. Uh, we, are, we are in a transition here, and um, we are here in our second uh, week of holy ambition. We were talking last week about uh, the importance of finding our place, knowing that God needs to be bigger. We have to have a bigger vision of him in our lives. We need to see him for who he is, that he's holy. We need to know that he satisfies us. And then we talked a little bit about how he needs to be our secret hiding place. And we talked about worship and how important worship is. It's not just compartmentalized into 15 or 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, but it involves our entire Lives. And so, as we just did this past week with Reach Week, it's important for us to embrace and to realize that everything we do involves worship. Everything we do in Jesus Christ. And so, we have to keep that in mind that worship is just not one small piece of our week. And so, one of the things I want to talk about today, <clears throat> that in society that we talk about too often, is the, the word value, the value of God's forgiveness. We, we look at God's forgiveness and we talk often about it through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that forgiveness is offered to the person who can come to faith in Jesus, to, to trust in the person and work of Jesus. Forgiveness is offered, forgiveness of sin. But the word value has to extend beyond that statement. We have to understand that value, everything we do in life, we value. We value time. We make sure that we don't want to waste time. We want to make up for time. We often say that time is essential, especially for those or someone like me who loves to achieve and get many tasks done in a certain period of time. I often say to myself, hey, I've got three minutes. Let me get something done. So time is valuable, even if it means my wife often says, she says, you know what? You could have prioritized that a little bit. Right, but I had three minutes. I could have done something with that. And so the idea of value is that we want to show that it should go beyond just justification in our faith. It should go into our sanctification. And what does that really mean? And so when we're thinking about holy ambition and worship, we got to think about what's the value in our lives. And so I want you to just turn with me to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, because we see one of these examples of forgiveness. Uh, we see it in, uh, in, other, in other parts in the gospel uh, we saw stories of Mary in, in John chapter 12 and even in Matthew 14, um, or excuse me, Mark 14. But this incident, this motif, this narrative is a little bit different than Mary's situation with Martha. Uh, it's actually another episode of someone else, of a woman who comes across. And so I wanted to give you guys a visual this morning. Sometimes we can read the scripture and it can be very valuable, as, as we know. But I want to show you the scripture just through a video here. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, 
and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We understand <clears throat> that the Pharisee was one who was of entitlement. As we look at Luke 7, as we just saw the visual, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And we understand that the importance of realizing that the necessity of it, because the word the Pharisee, if you have your worship guides there, you have your message notes there, the Pharisee had a sense of entitlement. We understand who a Pharisee is. It was a legalistic sect of the Jews and Judaism, a rigid adherence to the ceremonial fine, fine points of the law. Their names, and the name of Pharisee means separated ones. And so Jesus had many interactions, not only with the Pharisees, but with the Sadducees. And these were his opponents. I mean, we understand that the Pharisees were one who believed in the supernatural. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the existence of angels, unlike the Sadducees. They believed in the written and oral law, but they also, and unlike the Sadducee that only believed in the written law, when the, when the oral law was spoken and when they looked to the law, they often added to it. They added thoughts contemporary thoughts of that day. And when each of the rabbis continued to do so, they wrote them down. And as they wrote them down as incredible sayings, mystical sayings or spiritual sayings or things of wisdom, they begin to add it to the repertoire of the law. And then they would look back and say that rabbi so-and-so said, 
and they added it into what would be considered someone who could sense righteousness or standing of righteousness. If one would adhere to a statement, then righteousness would follow. And so what Jesus would often say throughout the Gospels is that they leaned on human tradition. That's what was human tradition when they leaned on the sayings of a certain rabbinical leader. And Jesus himself would call out these men. So it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon. We see that even throughout the Gospels in a few of the chapters in, in Luke. It wasn't uncommon for Jesus to be invited over as, as the Pharisees invited him. Some would, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they would invite, leaders would invite in uh, rabbis that would come and visit for just a moment in the city. But Jesus himself was not invited for that reason. He was invited because they wanted to probe him. They wanted to interrogate him. They heard about him. They heard that he claimed to be God. They heard that he was some kind of prophet. But they wanted to interrogate him to call him out, to show forth that they knew better than him, that he was just a, a typical rabbi that think, and many at that time thought that they, were the, they would claim that they were, they were son of God, and they were prophet from God, called of God. But yet, these Pharisees would always run around thinking they were entitled because they were the religious leaders of that time, and they wanted everyone to look at them for leadership. But Jesus spoke often, because even though they were ritualistics and legalists, and separatists. Jesus often spoke about them. And so I want to share a little bit of a, a character sketch between the Pharisee and the woman. So let's start with the Pharisee for just a moment. I've just got a, a statement here. And the statement is quite simple. It says, I deserve this because I am better than this. Ego. We have to understand that this particular um, Pharisee did. Look at verse 39. Just, just look at verse 39 as we saw the whole, the, we saw the, the narrative just laid out in the video. But let's at, look at verse 39. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And see, he was already calling it out and saying, he's not even a prophet. He doesn't even know this woman is a sinner. He's already saying, I know better than him. I know better than this, that you should not involve yourself with a sinner. She's contaminated. She's unclean. She's a Gentile. She's been called out to be a sinner. Don't get near her. But Jesus, when he was laying out, reclined, it wasn't uncommon for people to come in as the Pharisees and Jesus was there, or rabbis that were talking. It wasn't uncommon for someone to come and even an outsider walk in. But this woman came in in hopes that she would receive forgiveness. And Jesus himself was right there ready to receive her. But the Pharisee wasn't. The Pharisee was entitled. The Pharisee believed that people who were unclean were not to be around them. And they knew better than even Jesus. I mean, even Jesus called them out in Matthew chapter 23. Just a few statements. He talked about the Pharisees. And he says, therefore, pay attention to what they tell you and do it. Meaning because they're making notice to the law. And the law is, the umbrella of the law is love, relationship with God, compassion. But what the Pharisees were doing was they were adhering to human traditions. They were adhering and adding to the law and therefore asking people to lead by their example what they do rather than what they say. And so G Jesus said, 
You could do, pay attention to what they tell you and do it, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they teach. He even said in verse 5 of chapter 23 of Matthew, he says, they do all their deeds to be seen by people. In fact, he said that, that for they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels long. The phylacteries was a, a little leather box that would tell them to keep the law. It was a reminder strapped around their head, on their forehead. And the long tassels were just a reminder of the Ten Commandments to follow them. But it wasn't that it was the wearing of phylacteries or the tassels, because even Jesus himself was wearing it as a rabbi, but it was the fact that they walked around saying they wanted people to notice that they were godly that they were following the law, that they were following the Ten Commandments. How would that similarly be today? Well, let me share this with you. Be careful, because sometimes what we do is we share Scripture. It's great to hear Scripture. It's great to hear it often. But be careful that we're not doing it so that we can say, look at me, look how much Scripture I know. That's a similarity, because what they said, he said, listen to them and do what they say. And if someone were to share scripture with me, I would love to hear the scripture. He says, but watch how they live. And so it's important for us not to just share scripture, but how are we living it? Are we living according to what God's called us to do? That's important because anyone across the United States and across the country, there are secularists. There are people who are opponents of Christianity that know the scripture better than you and I. And there are opponents, there's the enemy who knows scripture, and he can deceive people to see certain interpretations of it. Even the people of the law, even the Pharisees, who worked very hard, who were people who wanted to make sure that the synagogues were settled, that their schools were settled. They worked hard to interpret the law. Even so, they walked around entitled. It's so important for us. Even Simon, he answered well. It says, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. When he says later, we'll talk about that. He answered, and Jesus says, you have judged rightly. But just because we judge rightly, the question is, how do we live? See, the value of forgiveness has to go beyond our words. It's got to go into actions as well. And so it's important for us to understand that God is saying to each one of us, we have to be careful of our egos. Why? Because, see, even an ego... Really what it means is a person's self-esteem or self-importance. And what happens is when a person makes a great effort to elevate oneself in any specific assembly for a selfish common good, this one has an ego problem. And see, it's important when a person speaks more about himself or herself, this person thinks less of him or herself. It's important for us to understand that too as we look at the Pharisee that we too don't fall into that trap. Because even Christian leaders, evangelical leaders are seeing that as they see a scope across the church, that we have to be mindful of that. Two, what the Pharisees did often is they say, I deserve this because I've worked hard for this. It's pride. Again, they worked hard for establishing synagogues of worship. They worked hard to establish the fact of schools and Judaism. They worked hard of those years to create this religious sect so that people would follow and Judaism would create a Sanhedrin where people would be able to follow Judaism. It was a hard working, working task to interpret the law. I don't know about you, but when you have to study in depth, and I've done some of that, 
it's mind-boggling. Every time, because I sit there as I study, I have to take a break because my brain just goes into nothing. It's like I'm just overwhelmed and burned out from looking at all the information and trying to take all this information from Old Testament to New Testament. At some point, I got to say, I need a break. I need to go see a Yankee game. And so I would step up and I'll go and watch some of the Yankees and get a break and then come back because it's overwhelming. Can you imagine that's all they did? Working hard, trying to interpret the law, whether correct or not, and the way they lived, they worked hard. And there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with being proud of someone. There's not, nothing wrong with having pride in what you do. But here's the, here's the concern that we have to be careful of, is that pride means a feeling of deep pleasure, satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. We have to be careful that it's, it's great to be proud about something that God has allowed you and I to do. It's great to look at Reach Week and be proud of our church. I am so proud of our staff, so proud of our leaders, so proud of all of you, so proud of every one of you who gave, who gave sacrificially, selflessly throughout the week, so proud. See, that's, that's something we could be proud because we gave God, we were boasting in Jesus and we made him famous throughout the week. That's an awesome thing. We're boasting in Jesus. That's a great thing to be proud of. But what we have to be careful of is that we're not proud and satisfy within ourselves. Because humility doesn't follow that. See, the Pharisees did that. They were just very proud and prideful. Also, here's a third thing if you want to look at this. It's important to understand that they say, I deserve this because I know better than you. This is simply arrogance. I mean, just like he said, like I said earlier with verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he knew better. He thought he did. He didn't even realize. But Jesus will put him in his place very soon as we mention this. But let me just share something that an evangelical leader shared about some concerns regarding pharisaical mindset today, even in the church. We have to be careful of this. And I, he said the top 10 things that often happens, Barna Group came up with. And he, and he highlighted 10 things. Number one is, Sometimes we can say, and any one of us can say, if he knew the Bible as well as I did, his life would be better. This is some of the, one, one leader that's put these 10 things together. I follow the rules. And see, that's, you know, because humility doesn't come behind that. Three, and this is pharisaical mindset. You shouldn't hang around people like that. Because that's what the Pharisees did. Four, God listens to my prayers. Five, sure, I have a few issues, but that's between me and God. See, vulnerability, transparency is just something, honesty is just something we're afraid of. We're afraid that if someone sees the real us, as I mentioned last week, then they're not going to really like the real me. And that's a hard thing. Because when we can be vulnerable and transparent before God, then it doesn't matter who sees me. It doesn't matter if I have a few faults. It doesn't matter if I'm a bumbling idiot. It doesn't matter if I make a few mistakes here or there. Because ultimately, if I'm transparent and vulnerable before God, God has already seen me. And the beauty of that is that God is not looking for us to be like a Pharisee. He wants us to be more Christ-like. And he goes on to say, then he says, just, they just need to work harder. Some of us can say, of course, I'm a Christian. Of course, look at me, I'm a Christian. Or eight, more people need to stand up for Christian values. That was a hard one. I'm like, wow, that's a really tough one because I believe that. I'm simply more comfortable with people from my church than I am with people who don't go to church. 
See, that's a challenge. We get comfortable in our bubble. We get comfortable around each other. I'll, I'll admit to that. Look, these 10, these 10 right here were convicting for me. I don't know about you, but they're convicting for me. Because the last one, it says, people who don't go to church can come if they want to. Because it's something we have to go out of our comfort zones. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. This past week, there were people throughout our church who were serving. We had 140 opportunities, and there were people that said, I don't normally do this, but the Holy Spirit was able to give them the courage to be able to talk to someone. But we didn't have to share the gospel. It was enough to start a relationship. We had a Facebook person, a person that says, thank you so much on Grace Facebook, on our Grace Walder Facebook. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for blessing us this morning with coffee and with donuts and for having a smile on your face. That's the beauty. But it was one in our church. She said, I don't normally do this. And Pastor Dennis was telling me, he goes, you know what? She doesn't. She doesn't normally do this. She got out of her comfort zone. And she was walking up to people back and forth. And I was like, wow, she's really good. But she was excited to be courageous to believe God. And that's what it is. We, we just need to get out of our comfort zones and believe God. And I'll tell you, it's amazing what happens when we do that. And so it's important that we understand that we're not called to have an attitude of entitlement. But I believe we have to look at the woman and ask the question, can we have an, an attitude of gratitude? Can we look at her life? Look at with me to verse 37. Look with me to verse 37, and as you're turning there, I'm going to make a statement, because she said this, I don't deserve forgiveness, receive my costly sacrifice. Look at verse 37 of chapter 7 in, in Luke, because she says this, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, she was a prostitute, who she learned, when she learned that she, he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, Jesus brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 300 denier. You know how much that is? That's almost a year's supply of perfume. She was willing to give up her entire salary for a year. Can you imagine the median income today in the United States is around $50,000 or even a little more? And depending where you live and what county and what society, Maybe it's a little bit more here. I know the, the median income is a lot more than that here. I checked it. Where we live, I know. It's 30000 more than where we came from. And I'll tell you, if you do a median income just in La Plata area, it's, it's around the $90,000 mark. Can you imagine giving up $90,000 to worship Jesus? It cost her so much. How much is it costing you and I today? See, worship... Is not about 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Worship is about a lifestyle. It's going to cost us something. What's it costing us? It's a convicting message. I understand some of you are like, wow, that was heavy. Yes, it is. It's a heavy, convicting message. I ask myself the question every day, Lord, what is it really costing me? I asked that question because when I look at this woman, I'm amazed. I had to sit all week wondering, Lord, how am I supposed to tell your people they need to worship in this manner when I've got to look at my own self? I'm convicted beyond measure, but it cost her something. And the beauty of it is that it should cost each one of us. So how should we respond to this forgiveness? What does worship really look like? What's it truly costing us too? I don't deserve forgiveness. Receive my contrite 
heart. Look what verse 38. And standing behind at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So you got to understand, these are all in imperfect tense in the Greek. You know what that's saying? It's continuous, and she's taking her time worshiping Jesus. The weeping is a word that means rain showers. It's not a simple little whimpering. She is crying out hysterically before Jesus. I know that video makes it look like she's barely tearing, but she is overwhelmed with God's grace and his mercy through his son. She stands before deity. She stands before the holy God who's in man form. She stands before him and she's looking desperately for forgiveness. She knows she's a sinner. She doesn't have to be told she's a sinner. She's been taken far away. But the beauty of it is the scholars don't know whether she came to Christ at this moment or whether she's already come to Christ. But it seems like we're going to find out. I think the response is she's already come to Christ because she's already brought off forth a worship, a costly worship. Nobody needs to be reminded they're a sinner. Amen? I mean, each one of us know that we stand before God short because really what sin means is missing the mark, the mark of perfection. And so as we're missing the mark, as it says even Isaiah 53, we're missing the mark. It's like taking back that bow and trying to hit that target perfectly in the middle all the time, all the time, perfectly. And it's impossible. We're imperfect. But the beauty is that God's not expecting perfection from us. He demands it. But the beauty in his holiness is that Jesus paid for it. And that Jesus paid for it. Now he says, I'm approachable. You can come to me. I'm accessible. And this woman did. She wasn't afraid. She was courageous to say, Lord, save me. And she did. And the beauty is now she's responding and seeing the value of forgiveness by her response. And I'm just moved by it because when I think of her and the weeping, when was the last time that I cried out to God in weeping? When was the last time that I was willing to give everything I have? See, I'm a miser. <laughs> I was brought up from my father where you save your pennies. And I have to be reminded every day saying, Lord, wait a minute, it's got to cost me something. It can't just be me, Lord, having this beautiful, comfortable life. God, you got to move me. I need to learn how to worship. That's a scary prayer. Because God's saying, are you willing? And I have to be willing. I have to be willing to say, Lord, if it costs me everything, yes. And I have to be willing. Can I be honest and vulnerable and transparent? That's a crazy prayer. I have to go to the Lord with that. Because that's a crazy prayer to think that it's going to cost me everything. But my wife and I have learned that we've got to offer our lives to him. Just as he did. Lastly, do you see this? That I don't deserve forgiveness. Thank you for canceling my debt. Look with me the verse 42. This is an important part of the parable here that he mentions. And Jesus answering, he said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you, as you saw in the video. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denier. That's 18 months of salary. Whew. That's more than that 90,000 I mentioned. Wow. And the other 50, two months of salary. And when they had couldn't, could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now remember, canceled in the Greek is an idea of forgiveness. Debt is the idea of sin. Forgiveness for the sin of both. It was a sin, and it is a sin for us to live in debt. But there's a cancel 
and that it's wiped away. That's the word for wiped away, expediate, to wipe away sin, to wipe away the debt. Now, which of them will love him more? Meaning the word love in Hebrew is really, there is no word for thanksgiving or gratitude. But scholars believe that even though agape is there, agapeo, even though that word is there, they really believe that the word even leans towards gratitude, a response. It's not, when we love, we live in gratitude. We respond with something. We're offering worship not just simply in his presence, but we have to act on it. And so it goes on to say that it's, the question is, how do we value God's forgiveness in Christ? How do we value it? Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my sin. Amen. Amen. And then I'm going go on with my life. <laughs> I mean, what's it going to cost us? See, this is what I think it does. As we look at this passage, we see it's very clear that love sacrificially. That's what God's calling us. See, the value of, of forgiveness in Christ is we are to call to love sacrificially, just like Jesus. Jesus offered himself sacrificially for you and I. Perfect substitutionary atonement for you and I. Gave it all. Left heaven to come here on earth in, in the form of man. Sacrifice to the point of death. And here what we see is, therefore, he says, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. Perfect tense, meaning done away with. That which was in the, now, it was not past act with future results. Christocentric, it's going to happen. Even though he hasn't died and rose from the dead, it's going to happen. See, Christocentric means that it's already placed in from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that Jesus was to come, the Messiah. And revealed at his time, Jesus came as the Messiah. Not to save them from Rome, but to save mankind from sin. And the beauty of it is, he says, for she loved much, for he who is forgiven, little loves little. He's talking to the Pharisee. Why? Because the Pharisee was entitled. The Pharisee didn't need Jesus. The Pharisee knew better. The Pharisee was better in everything. He was arrogant. He was ego. He was pride. He didn't need Jesus. He only, if he were to call on Jesus, he would only call on Jesus if he needed. But he wasn't going to call on Jesus because he didn't care about Jesus. He saw Jesus as just a rabbi and a potential prophet, but didn't even recognize him as a prophet. Remember, Jesus is a prophet, priest, and a king. It was his offices. And Jesus is the prophet, the mouthpiece of the Father, sent by the Father on mission to die on the cross for sin. And so the beauty of it is, is that the Pharisee was unwilling, but the woman who was full of sin was willing to go. See, this is what the beauty of the, the gospel is. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ didn't die for us because we had it all together like the Pharisee. Christ didn't die for us because we have self-righteousness or we have a great self-esteem and we could do things. God died for us as sinners. And now how do we respond? We love sacrificially. That's the beauty of the cross. Look, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. That's the beauty of love. Here's the second thing we see. We have to forgive repeatedly. It's not just forgiveness in this passage. There's love and forgiveness. And we're reminded because... He said to her, he says, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Twice, 47 and 48, highlighting the importance of being forgiven. But when we're forgiven, we respond. Because here's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Be kind to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
as God in Christ forgave you. Even in Colossians, same. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. I'm about to show a video of an incident that obviously has occurred. It's hot news today. It talks about forgiveness. I am not showing this video to highlight justice or injustice. This has nothing to do with it. I'm not, this, we're going to push that aside. Why I'm showing this video is because this amazing man who my heart is broken for and should be for all of us lost his brother because of, of what we see as an injustice but lost his brother when an officer, a retired officer, killed him in his apartment. And I am not going to talk about that more than I want to talk about his response. Here is a brother who offers forgiveness. I mean, this is at its core biblically laid out. It's an example that we should all follow. Let's just look at this video for just a moment. I don't want to... say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past, each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but... Can, can I give her a hug, please?
please. Yes. There are no examples of this today. Too often, we don't see it. What he did was biblical. I know it. It's not about feeling. It's a choice. See, I'm going to bring this verse up. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He decided not to go in anger and bitterness or hate. He decided to do what Christ did for him. He forgave a person that did not deserve it. We have to understand something. We do not deserve salvation. There's no act made in our lives that says we deserve better than someone else. Sin is sin in God's eyes, no degree. And we have to understand what he did was not an outrageous thing to do. It was extraordinary. It was supernatural because what Christ did for us was supernatural. And what we do when we respond, the value of forgiveness is to serve our brothers or sisters by not holding on. There's a chain between two people when we have hate and bitterness and anger. The person who forgives takes the chain off. The person who decides I want to still keep holding on, they clang around with that chain. But I've released myself. He's released himself from living in bitterness and anger because he knew he had to stand before. He saw the bigger picture. He saw true worship with God. He saw that God is bigger than this little thing right here. And it's not that it's little, but it's this one area in his life. It's huge. I can't even understand it. I don't even fathom what he did. And I'm, I am a, a believer for 30 years, and I'm still wrapping my arms around that. I have family members in my culture that I could forgive less for. And I'm telling you, we have to grasp. It's worth understanding that. This is what it is. It's service. It's serving frequently. You know, when Jesus said, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? The last part of verse 50 says this. It says, now, to the woman, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you know that word saved is perfect tense? That means he, she did nothing for her salvation. Do you know what that means for us today? We did nothing for our salvation. We do nothing. God does it all. He saves us. We respond. And you know, go peace doesn't mean just go about your own business. Go peace means go and worship him and tell others about this forgiveness. That's the value of forgiveness, sharing God's forgiveness with others. This is what he did. He shared to millions and millions of people across the country that God forgives sin, and that's why I can forgive this woman for taking my brother away from me. That is the value of forgiveness. That's worship. Guys, we have to get a hold of that. As we pray and we end our service at this moment, I want to encourage you. What is God asking you in your life to do? What's the value of forgiveness in your life? What are you and I going to do about it? 
Let me just give you a moment, pray, bow your heads as we're about to end our service. I want you to just think of one person in your life that you need to forgive. Name that person right to yourself. Just name it to, you, to yourself. You got that name. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for reminding us the value of forgiveness. It's not just simply forgiving another person. It's living our lives out in worship. You sent your son to forgive us of our sin. Now let us go in peace and serve. Let us go in peace and love. Let us go in peace and forgive. God, I pray that we will forgive others as you have forgiven us and worship you by sharing Christ with others. May you dismiss us now with your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great day.